Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel and our mantra is explore what you love, transform how you think and become an exceptional being. And an exceptional being that I've known for a while is Isaac Lee. You might remember him as Isaac Egan. But his real name is Lee. I don't know if he wants to explain that to you, but we're doing an introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy. So Isaac Lee, how are you? I am well, and I'm excited to be talking about an incredibly broad concept, which is CBT. And yep. really just uh, to be giving an introduction to this uh, very highly regarded and very utilized therapy. So I'm excited to get into it and teach you a little bit about this broad concept. Do you think uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, is one of the most common used therapies? Yeah, so I would say that it is the most common used therapy. Yeah. Uh, but when you think about cognitive behavior therapy, it, this is how broad it is, right? So any therapy that deals with cognitions, so thoughts, any kind of thinking-based aspect, or anything that is behavioral in nature, so uh, something that changes our behavior, what actions we will do, then you could easily argue that, that is within the umbrella of cognitive behavior therapy. Yep. So there's a lot of different therapies that have different names that would still kind of categorize themselves within cognitive behavior therapy or CBT. Uh, and they would often refer to themselves as second wave or third wave CBT. So building on some of the different concepts that have come before under this big umbrella of looking at thoughts, looking at behaviors, and then altering them in some way so that we can have a positive outcome. And um, I was just thinking then about something I used to carry around with me so um, let's pretend you're the professional and I have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Or in other words, I'm not sure on CBT. I know I've learned it. I know bits and pieces. But is CBT where you look for evidence to back up the thought? Yeah. So uh, there are two major kind of questions that we ask in response to noticing a thought. Uh, so one of the broad categories of questions is, is this accurate? So what is the evidence that suggests that this thought yeah. is true? Yeah. Uh, so that's a broad category of questions. Uh, the other category of questions is, is it helpful? Yeah. So the thought that pops into our head, what's the impact of it? Uh, and is it actually aiding us in our life or is it maybe having a negative impact? And then how can we look at it from different perspectives and yep. potentially come up with alternative responses to that situation yeah now you've explained it like that i remember exactly what it's all about um yeah i enjoyed learning cognitive behavioral therapy um it's fascinating isn't it how we can change some small things around and it completely changes the outcome for the person yeah i thought we might actually do a bit of an example for people okay and i'm going to get you to do this at the same time are you down for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me to have some paper and a pen ready. Last time I didn't have that ready when you asked me a quiz. I think it was about the saber-toothed tiger last time. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody listening at home uh, is interested to follow along with this, you can actually go and get pen and paper and you can write it down, your answers to these questions, and we can all go through it together and uh, see just how, you know, how, we dif how we differ in our answers and then explore these kind of broad concepts of cognitive behaviour therapy. Yep, sounds great. All right, cool. So, so are we numbering these questions or just questions? So I, I'm going to explain to you what we call the cognitive model. Yep. This is from the Beck Institute. So the Beck Institute is uh, highly regarded within the world of CBT. 
uh, Judith Beck is the person that runs that. And I would highly recommend uh, getting involved with uh, stuff from the, the Beck Institute. That's where I've done a fair bit of my training. So if you're a therapist uh, looking to get some more training within CBT, I would, I would highly recommend that one. Yep. Uh, so that's where we're going to start, right? So the, this is the cognitive model. The cognitive model says that we can have a situation, right? The situation could be anything. We could also say stimulus, right? So uh, getting a text message from somebody or getting a phone call from somebody or, or seeing something or hearing something or even smelling something or even thinking something, right? It could be any kind of really broad stimulus. This is the situation. Then that leads to something that we call the automatic thought. Now, the automatic thought is real quick, real quick. Uh, so we call it an automatic thought because of how quick it is. It's not like we're having a conscious thought in response to that situation, more like it just uh, immediately pops into our head. And then from there, we have an emotional response, a behavioral response, and a physiological response. So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you what the situation is. Right? So you don't need to write anything down there, but I'll tell you what the situation is. We'll go through it. And then I'm going to tell you what your automatic thought is. And yep. when I tell you what your automatic thought is, I'm going to get you to write that one down. Yep. And then we're going to discuss how you think you'd respond emotionally, behaviorally, and physiologically in response to that situation if you had that thought. Okay? Yep. All right. So the situation is that you've been looking forward to going to this concert for the last month, month and a half. You've organized to go with this mate of yours. He's going to come around on Saturday. You're going to go to this concert together. Right? You've been looking forward to it. The night before, you get a text message from him and it says, sorry, I can't come to the concert tomorrow. So that's what the text message says. Yeah. I want you to have the automatic thought and I'm going to get you to write this down. He doesn't care about me. So write that down. He doesn't care about me. Yeah. He doesn't care about me. Yeah. All right. So if you had the thought, ah, he had this guy, he just doesn't care about me. What would your emotional response be? How would you feel emotionally? Sad, angry. Yeah, okay. I want you to write those ones down, right? So sad and angry. All right. What do you think you'd do behaviorally, right? So you get that text message and you have the thought, ah, he just doesn't care about me. Would you put your phone down? Would you text him back? Would you throw your phone against the wall? What would your actions be? What would you do? I think I'd probably text something back, not very nice. Yeah? Text yeah. back. You've let me down. All right, I'll put that down. Text back. I want you to write that down too. Text back, uh, you've let me down. Yeah. You've let me down. Okay. Uh, and then physiologically is the last one. So what would you feel in your body? Would you have more energy or less energy? Or would you be tensed up or would you be relaxed? What would you be feeling in your body? Less energy and tensed up. All right, I'll write that Especially down. if it was anger. Yeah, okay. So less energy and tensed up. So kind of like a, like a, don't really want to do anything, but also frustrated and tensed. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I want you to write a line separating them. We're going to go through another situation. All right. We're done with that one. So the situation is actually going to be the same. You've been looking forward to going to this concert for the last month, month and a half. You've organized to go with this mate of yours. You're excited to go on the Saturday, but the night before the Friday night, you get the text message and it says, sorry, I can't come to the concert tomorrow. But this time I want you to have the automatic thought. Oh no, I wonder if he's okay. Yeah. So write that down. Oh no, I wonder yeah. if he's okay. 
So if you had the thought, oh, no, I wonder if he's okay, what would your emotional response be? Um, worry. Worry? Yeah. yeah. Um, concern, yeah. Yeah, worry, um, concern. Yeah. yeah. They're two major ones. Okay. Behaviour. If you had the thought, oh, no, I wonder if he's okay, what would you do in response to getting that text message? Would you text him back? Would you call him? Like, what would you do? I think I'd call and yeah. say, are you okay? What's wrong? All right, I'm going to write down here. Call him, ask what's wrong. All right. And then physiologically, if you had the thought, oh, no, I wonder if he's okay, would you be nice and calm and relaxed or would you be tensed up and maybe a bit nervous? What would you be feeling in your body? I think you'd be a bit nervous with the concern and worry. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to write another line separating that one and we're going to go through one more. All right, so... Situation's going to be the same. You've been looking forward to going to this concert for the last month, month and a half. You've organized to go with this mate. You're going to go on Saturday. The night before you get a text message and it says, sorry, I can't come to the concert. But this time I want you to have the automatic thought, ah, this is great. Now I can go with my BFF instead. So okay. write that down. This is great. Yeah. Now I can go with my best mate instead. All right. So if you had the thought and just the thought, ah, oh, this is great. Now I can go with my, my other mate instead, my best mate. <laughs> what would your emotional response be if you had that thought? Relieved. Yeah, relieved. Didn't really want to go with you anyway. <laughs> yep, relieved. Anything else on that emotional front? Excited. Yeah, I like that. Excited. Okay. What would your behavioural response be if you had the thought, oh, this is great, now I can go with my best mate instead? Uh, I'd text him and say, look, that's okay. Yeah. Text back, that's okay? Yeah. And then I'm going to guess that you'd probably text your best mate and say, hey, mate. Yeah. Might have a- hey, I've got a spare ticket for you. Got a spare ticket for you. All right, I'm going to write that down. Text mate, got a spare ticket for you. Ticket for you. Excellent. And then physiologically, if you had the, the thought, oh, this is great, now I can go with my mate instead, my other mate, what would you be feeling in your body? Would you have uh, less energy or more energy? Or what would you be feeling in your body? Oh, you'd have more energy and you'd be like anxious in a good way, like I can't wait for it to come. Yeah, okay. So uh, more energy and I'm going to put down here like pumped up. Yeah. Pumped up. All right. So what we've done here is, I've presented to you the exact same situation three times. Yeah. And the ex it's even the exact same text message. Yeah. So the same stimulus that you're reading. The thing that we changed was that automatic thought that popped into your head. Yeah. And if we look at the response that you had, right? So the exact same situation, the same thing happened. But in the first one, you were sad and angry. Yeah. Second one, you were worried and concerned. And in the last one, you were relieved and excited. Yeah. I'm going to guess that's pretty similar to what people are writing down at home whilst they're doing this or what they're thinking in the car as they're listening. Behaviorally, if we look at what your actions are, in the first one, you text it back, you've wet me down. In the second one, you call him and ask what's wrong. Yeah. And in the last one, you just text back, yeah, no problems. And then you text your other mate saying, hey, looks like I've got a spare ticket. Like, you're still good to go. 
Yeah. And the physiological one, that's the one that is, I find the most interesting is just that our physical state of our body changes. In the last one, you had more energy and you were pumped up, right? Excited, ready to go. Yeah. In the second one, like a nervous, anxious energy, right? In, in the first one, we got less energy and tensed up. So the anger, frustrated um, amount of energy. So physically, our body is changing just based on that automatic thought that pops into our head. Yeah. What do you think about that? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And, I mean, look, also in my head, though, I'm going, oh, yeah, but, you know, would I do this? Would I not do this? Because of my learning. But, yeah, it is. And it's, it's amazing to see how you can handle the same message and what your thought would be when you get that message. Because when you see it written down three different ways, there are different ways. And I guess, I don't know, I guess it depends on the different person that, uh, no, look, it, no, it is. It's how you respond to what you've been told. Yeah, so the idea behind the cognitive model and have a, having a better understanding of this is to acknowledge the impact of that thought. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily to say that any way of thinking is wrong or right, but it's simply to highlight how we're thinking and then for us to have a little bit more analysis of which way we actually want to go. Yeah. I, I often give the example of myself, right? Before I learned any of this, right? Before I learned any cognitive behavior techniques, if somebody came in and said, look, uh, Isaac, you know, you're looking a bit sad there, a little bit, a little bit sad and angry. What's up, man? I'd say, oh, I'm, just, I'm just pissed off because a mate of mine cancelled on me. He just doesn't care, right? And then, you know, at the same time, if somebody came in and said, oh, Isaac, you're looking a bit worried there, a little bit anxious, uh, what's going on? I'd say, oh, I'm just worried because a mate of mine cancelled on this concert and I don't know what's happening with him. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Same time, if somebody came in and said, Isaac, you know, you're looking a bit pumped up there, a bit energetic and, you know, you're looking, what's going on? I'd say, oh, I'm just uh, super excited. A mate of mine can't make it to the concert, but I'm going to grab his ticket going to go with my best mate. It's going to be great. I'm going to have an awesome time. So if somebody asked me, Isaac, why are you feeling the way that you are feeling? I would instinctively refer back to the situation. I am feeling this way because this thing happened. Yep. Now, obviously the situation is important because if I didn't get that text message, I might not have that response. Yep. But the way that I'm thinking in response to that stimulus is super important. And this is one of the things that we will highlight in cognitive behavior therapy is we start to become more aware of that thinking patterns and how we think. Yep. And then we start to examine those two big questions that we mentioned earlier. Is that thought accurate? And is it helpful? Yep. So if we look at this example here, right? In the first one, we put down, oh, he doesn't care about me. Now, is that accurate? It's a pretty big question. Yeah. Because let's say it's the first time that this guy's cancelled on you. Yeah. But you're just kind of pre-wired into thinking that way. Then it might not actually be accurate. Yeah. To start with, this guy said that he wanted to go to the concert with you. Yeah. You've been talking about it for the last month and a half. Yeah. So there's lots of pieces of evidence that suggest that he actually does enjoy spending time with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start to examine, is it accurate? So that we can go, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this friend actually has social anxiety or maybe something else has come up. So we don't know the accuracy in this particular situation, but we would encourage each other or people in general to find out, you know, like, 
is the way that I'm thinking accurate? Yeah. The other set category of questions is, is it helpful? Now, let's say that this is the sixth time in a row that this guy's cancelled on you. Yeah. I mean, it's probably helpful to get angry and upset with this guy, right? Yeah. And say, mate, like, uh, you actually let me down and, uh, and, and this is actually doing my head in. Yep. So it could actually be helpful to have that first response. It could actually be exactly what you need is to get angry and, and get a bit pissed off and, and communicate how you feel, right? Yep. So, again, there's no right or wrong way of thinking about it, but it's about understanding the impact of our thinking and then being able to have a more conscious decision, a little bit more agency in how we respond to these situations and how our automatic thoughts can sometimes trip us up. Yeah. At the same time, like, you know, you could have that mate that, uh, like, you know that his mum's been in and out of hospital and then he cancels on you last minute and doesn't mention why. Maybe it's a good idea to, to give him a call and just ask him. Follow up, yeah. See, with you saying that, I mean, I know someone with a similar situation where they, they go to the supermarket and every time they're going, they have a bit of anxiety before they go, am I going to get a car parking space? Mm-hmm. And I've said to them, what's the evidence to say that you've never got a parking space? So they go, oh, no, I always get a parking space. And I go, okay. So the evidence is that every time you go to the supermarket, you've always got a parking space. Oh, all the time. Okay. So why are you feeling anxious about it? Over to you, Isaac. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what we're doing in cognitive behavior therapy is, is acknowledging, okay, well, what if I don't get a car space, right? And then that's causing some anxiety. Yeah. Is it accurate? Is it helpful? Well, it doesn't sound like it's accurate at all. No. But if you said that, okay, so I'm worried about getting a car spot, so I make sure that I've got the, you know, an extra five minutes available in case I need more time to find a car space. Yeah. Well, then that thought process might actually be helpful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of anxiety uh, means that I leave at five minutes early and things go well for me. Right. Yeah. Could be good. Now, if uh, I have that thought, I might not get a car space and then I have crippling anxiety and then I can't leave the house for fear of not being able to get a car space and then not being able to deal with that. Yeah. Then there's a very good chance that that thought process is actually unhelpful. Yeah. So these are the kind of things that we unpack within cognitive behavior therapy and start to examine, start to have a bit of a... a in-depth response to how we think. And then we actually start to notice some, some patterns. So once we've been doing therapy for some amount of time, my clients that I'm doing CBT with will we'll go, oh, okay, so uh, in this particular instance, when that friend cancelled on you, you thought he doesn't care about me. Yep. And when your boss gave you some critical feedback at work, your response was thinking he doesn't want me to work for him. Yeah. And uh, when somebody said, uh, oh, your potatoes are really nice that you've cooked. They're delicious. Your thought process was, oh, they must think that the chicken is terrible. Yeah. (laughs) So then we start to see a pattern where people don't like me. Yeah. Right. And, or, I'm not good enough for people to love me might be a a broad theme that comes in. We often refer to that as what we call a core belief. So now we get into some more complicated stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, which you know, I, would, I would probably suggest that you go through with your therapist uh, because we start to you know, get into some nuances. Of, okay, well, this is the pattern that I'm going to be think, thinking through. How can I navigate around that before it even comes up? Yeah. And then we can go into our childhood and, and get some childhood data in order to have a better understanding of where that core belief came from or where that tendency or, or, or filter or pattern of thinking comes from. And then we can try to break that down and maybe have a different broad approach to things um, moving forward in life, which is one of the reasons why it's the most popular therapy is that we, are, we often have some good results from doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I know in the UK, uh, when someone needs to see a mental health specialist, um, they do over there, they do CBT over the phone, mm-hmm. which when I first heard that, I thought, well, is that really very helpful? Um, because I mean, look, I, I've learned as a counselor to be seeing the person in front of me, you know, going off all the visual cues you have. Um, but then after a while I thought, well, look, we have to think about it in this way that it's better to offer a service that can be done immediately than be put on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. I don't know how good the, the mental health service is here in Australia. I don't know how long the waiting lists are. Um, I know since the pandemic, we've had quite a bit of a wait time. And, and it almost seems to be as well here that unless you're, uh, not you in private practice, but for people wanting to see, uh, I guess, headspace and places like that, unless you're at a critical point, you could be waiting months. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, yeah, there are varying levels of exactly what we want and sometimes we just don't have the resources or just the straight-up trained clinicians, right? Yeah. Where, yeah, like even if we threw more, more money at the problem, uh, it, it wouldn't solve the problem because we need to train more people. So it's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. So c- cognitive behavioral therapy was put together by Beck. Um, I was thinking of Skinner. Was Skinner involved or was he just behavioral uh, therapy? Uh, so Skinner did uh, behavior models. Yeah. Uh, so classical conditioning. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. With, uh, pigeons and, you know, um, positive reinforcement, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's operational a pretty- as well? Yeah, yeah, operational, yeah. Ah, so you're bringing it all back to me. I, I do know a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the old memory, uh, chug it along, yeah, you're going to catch Yeah, I know, look at me, because I don't use it every day. Uh, sometimes I speak to people and they say something and I go, oh, actually, I know about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like uh, operant conditioning and, yeah, like uh, certainly uh, brings back to some of my uni days. Um, I mean, I know this is an introduction to CBT, but I did want to ask you, have you ever used any of the Gestalt therapy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Gestalt is uh, a different category uh, of experiential. There's a lot more experiential uh, work within Gestalt. And uh, that's certainly something that if people are interested in that, I would certainly encourage them to follow that up with their therapist. Uh, Yeah. So we do a bit of uh, chair work in Gestalt, which is uh, effectively uh, imagining the other person that we're wanting to speak to or have a dialogue to uh, that could also be ourselves or a different version of ourselves and actually having some dialogue with um, an imaginary person in that chair, uh, which can be quite helpful in the way that we then maybe process memories or process interactions or maybe practice things regarding interactions. Um, 
Yeah. Gestalt is very interesting. I know it was uh, in in America in the was it the late sixties. It was actually something that people used to have parties for. Oh, I uh, I don't know about that one, but uh, oh, you don't know. Yeah, look, it was in the reading I did uh, when I was studying ten years ago, and they were saying that Gestalt therapy uh, in the seventies or late sixties, it became like a household thing to go and have a party and do the empty chair, and I can't remember the other techniques. So I know the empty chair, um, and people loved it. They thought it was amazing. Mm, mm, that's really cool. Yeah. There's, a, there's a really good interview with Aaron Beck. So uh, Aaron Beck is one of the uh, probably the most important person within cognitive behavior therapy. Yep. Uh, he was talking about when he first started getting into cognitive work. So we started asking about thoughts. So prior to that, he was very much a Freudian approach. So yep. psychoanalytic and would would ask people how they feel. How does that make you feel would be yeah. the question. And he was having a, a session with one of his clients and he gave a very uh, appropriate uh, analysis of the client that he was working with and why it related back to her mother. Uh, and then uh, you know, he checked in with her and said, oh, you know, what's going on? Like, you know, does that fit for you? And uh, the client said, uh, yeah, it does, doctor. But to be, to be honest, I was just worried that you were going to f- find me boring. <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, well, hang on a second. Uh, what's what? <laughs> like, uh, that's got nothing to do with your mother. Why do you think that I'm going to be bored by this? And he unpacked that with uh, his patient um, and uh, then started doing some cognitive work. And it's pretty interesting to hear him talk about it because he says, you know, I started switching over to cognitive work and started doing, asking the question, what are you thinking right now instead yeah. of what are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says it was terrible because he ran out of clients because right. they started getting better a lot, a lot sooner. Yeah, yeah. He was used to people being in that couch for, you know, 12 months or, or two years. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly uh, people were, were doing a lot better and saying, thanks, Doc. I think I'm, think I'm good. I'll uh, catch you next time. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I guess um, more people are probably better at describing how they're thinking or what they're thinking um, rather than talking about their emotions. Yep. Yeah. So it's almost like a shortcut to getting getting to the root of the problem, I guess, if you don't like talking about your feelings. Yeah, yeah. Or, or we can just find out the way that thoughts uh, can actually come before the feelings. Yeah. So- I'm feeling this way, but I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And what then we're we thinking. Yeah. What were, what were we thinking? Uh, and, you know, for that client, you know, being concerned that she was going to be boring. Yeah. When you unpack that, okay, well, worried about being boring. Uh, what does that mean? And then how does that preoccupy a lot of your thoughts? And then how does that change your behaviors? Right. So I'm worried that people are going to find me boring. So I get over the top drunk and then uh, do a bunch of boisterous things and make a fool out of myself. And then the next day I feel terrible and I end up getting fired from jobs. Uh, But it all comes back to this fear of being boring. Yeah. So like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting once we get into the different ways that people think and how that responds to, uh, to the way that we behave yep. and then the subsequent thoughts that come into that. It's, uh, I, I love CBT. 
It's uh, so yeah. I, I remember um, questioning automatic thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a um, a small worksheet that you do. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're having automatic thoughts that aren't aren't working for you, I guess like the car park, like this one. There are lots of different worksheets that right. uh, different clinicians will give out, and this is actually one of the complaints that I hear from a lot of my clients regarding CBT. Right. So uh, I have had people sit down and in the first session they've said, uh, Isaac, I've tried CBT. I hate it. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, which you know, I obviously respect and I just, you know, we'll, we'll do a different uh, approach. But uh, uh, often CBT is uh, connected to my therapist gave me this worksheet and said I had to fill it out every day. And it was boring and I hated it and didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and... When I look at, you know, CBT, the way that I approach CBT is certainly to have that hour in that office to have a better understanding of the individual. And then sometimes I'll utilize those worksheets in order to then be able to spend time outside of the therapy room, which is a lot more hours outside the therapy room than inside the therapy room. So using those worksheets to get a better understanding of this. uh, But what we don't want to do is just like, oh, here's a worksheet, fill it out, done. Right? Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but if somebody did that to me, I would not be feeling at that worksheet. No, look, and I think you really have to have someone who is uh, totally engaged in, I guess, not that they need to be totally engaged in wanting to help, but they need to be a bit more um, themselves, don't they, uh, geared towards finding out what's going to happen if they want to go home. I mean, I remember going to a psychologist when I was, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and they said, here's a form, uh, fill this in, and I'll be able to tell you if you're well-balanced. And I went home, and I can't remember what the form was, but it said things like, I'd like to own a flower shop. Yes, no, maybe, you know, um, I like uh, small dogs. And I don't know, there was about 500 questions, I think, and you had to shade in which ones you like. And I gave it back to him, and he said, oh, you did it. And I went, yeah, because not many people do this. And I go, well, I want to know if I'm, you know, if I'm okay, because at the time my wife thought I might be depressed. And he came back to me and he said, no, 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 you're so well balanced. You're perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. Not that I'm perfect, but I was okay. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't anxious. I was just normal. Um, And he said, but I'm still surprised that you sat down and filled out all these. And I said, but that's what you asked me to do. But I guess, as you say, a lot of people would go and see a therapist and go home and go, I'll do it next week. I'll do it later today and just not want to do it. There is a real importance in being able to explain why we're doing this, what the benefits are, what the rationale behind it is, and why it's going to potentially lead to a benefit down the track. Yeah. And if, cause if, if, if your client is not on board with that, if you don't, if they don't understand why they're doing it uh, or, you know, even understanding when they should be doing it or they don't understand an aspect of it, then they're either not going to do it or, they're going to do it uh, five minutes before the session. They're just going to roughly fill it out beforehand. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, like this is something that that, that comes up, right? So I will often explain the model to somebody. Yeah. And we'll go through that little exercise that we did today. And then I'll say, okay, well, what what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this model going to give you a handout of this model and I want you to just kind of be mindful of it over the next week or two and then if something comes up then you can write it down jot it down uh, if you remember to but otherwise we'll just go through it in the next session and we'll 
the first one that we do for a real life situation uh, will just be based on memory. Yep. And then from there, we'll do another couple or I'll ask them to fill this shit out once we start to see an actual benefit to it. Yeah. Which, yeah, like I think that if you just give somebody worksheets and say, do this worksheet because the workshop that I did said I should hand out this worksheet, uh, then you're just gonna, not going to have that engagement that you're looking for. And I liked how just before you highlighted that when you see someone in that therapeutic hour, there is still work that you do outside of that hour because I, I think a lot of people think when they call up and say, oh, I want to make an appointment and the appointment costs $100, $150, they are like, oh, my God, that's so expensive. But they don't realise that it's not just that hour they're sitting with you. There's afterwards when you follow up on all the things they said and you might sit there for two or three hours working out what the problems are, how you can help them with those, and maybe even doing a bit of research on the, the um the way they're presenting when they come to see you. So, you know, that $200 could be four hours of work. And, and plus out of that, you then pay your registration, you pay your insurance, you pay your rent for your property, you know. But people just see it like, oh, my God, they earn so much money. And it's, it's not that way at all. There's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes. Yeah, so there's that side of things. When I was actually referring to that one, I was actually um, mentioning it for the client there is far more hours outside of the therapy room where they can be. Oh, for uh, them. Yeah, for them. So, yeah. so if I can give them stuff to do outside of that therapy room, then, then there's going to be a lot more hours for them to do that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I benefit during those hours because I can run them through that thing in the hour, but there's going to be more hours outside of that therapy room for them. But at the same time, you're, you're very much right. Yeah. Uh, the thinking that I do for, for my clients is like, I love to do it. It's something that I find really fascinating and interesting. Uh, but to give you an idea, like when I take holidays, uh, I will take a three-week holiday. I've actually got one coming up. And it usually takes me about two weeks before I shut my brain off in yeah. terms of, uh, you know, every time I'm in the shower, thinking about uh, how I can approach another session this way or how I can uh, maybe have a, a client think about things differently in this way or, uh formulating maybe there's something about this going on or they did say that thing maybe that's you know like a, a line of inquiry or something like that yeah so uh yeah like the amount of stuff that happens outside that therapy hour it's really hard to calculate because um there's just a lot of thinking about yeah. those clients and do you find uh because you were saying about clients doing the work at home do you find that a lot of them do actually put in the time to do the work to bring it back to you uh, it depends on the client and yeah. the situation. So anxiety tends to be one where we see a little bit more of that because people have a little bit more energy. Uh, depression, we would actually, uh, you know, today we, we went through some of the cognitive stuff. So yeah. what we're actually thinking and, and how those thoughts impact our behaviours. When it comes to depression, I would often start with the behavioural side of things. Yeah. So we'll go the other way. We'll actually say, okay, what are the actions that you're doing? And then maybe if you were in a uh, more motivated state, what kind of things would you be doing? And so we might tackle it from a behavior approach. And this is why CBT is so broad. Yeah. We only touched on one very small sliver today. And we have different approaches for different people depending on the situation and what's being presented with. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to depression, we're going to have reduced motivation, reduced enjoyment or pleasure in activities previously enjoyed. And so what that means is filling out a worksheet is a lot more difficult when you don't have motivation to get out of bed. Yeah. Uh, 
so we might just have a, you know, we'll, we'll do a slow kind of approach to it or we might just set one uh, activity to do during that week to start with. And then maybe if we see an improvement on things, then we might schedule more stuff and then we'll get into the cognitive stuff. Maybe when we get into like maybe week five or six. Yeah. Uh, and then other people I'll start with cognitive work in week one. Uh, it, it really depends on the client and what's happening for them. Yeah, there are so many different therapies, aren't there? So many different strands of those therapies. And uh, it, it's really finding the best fit for that person when they present at your office and how you think they'll actually work to whichever therapy you're putting forward or which one you think suits them better. And, and I think also with a lot of clients, it's also, I would say two to three sessions before they actually really let their mask down and feel comfortable enough to start talking about things that are affecting their lives, because we can come in to a session and go, Oh, it's all my partner's fault or it's all my boss's fault. But it's when you actually start to accept the things that are not going right for yourself and why they're not going right for yourself. That's when you can really start to explore and uh, become aware of what part you play in whatever's happening and how you can work through that. Yeah, it must sure. be really hard to be open and raw to someone you don't even know and say, Oh, my life's so terrible. And this and this has happened. Yeah, like uh, certainly the case, you know, like I'll have some people that don't, you know, there's some clients that I'm like, I don't, I don't really understand. Like I've been working with this person for six months, nine months, and, and, and I just like, I don't know, I just don't understand. And then they'll tell me about the thing that they've not yeah. mentioned for the last nine months. Yeah. And suddenly it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then I'll have other people that will come in and because, because they don't have anybody that's independent, that has that obligation to keep information confidential uh suddenly they're the first person you know, i can actually tell you about stuff because you can't tell anyone yeah and yeah yeah so they're actually first session is they're, they're like oh, oh i can tell you everything you have to listen yeah, yeah. So, uh there's um there's there's all kinds of clients but there's actually all kinds of therapists as well you know you touch oh, definitely um, yeah i mean look it's not that just because you're a therapist you're a fit for everybody is it that's the biggest advice that I can give in terms of finding a therapist is try different ones if it's not a good fit. Yeah. So their approach might be not the right fit. Maybe CBT doesn't work for you. Maybe you want to be doing something else or maybe something else will be more up your alley. Uh, and so try some different things and uh, don't get a bit, don't get too dismayed when you just don't have that connection because unfortunately there's a fair bit of luck in finding the therapist that is the right fit for you. Yep. Brilliant. As always, Isaac, are you happy to leave it there? Yep. Cause it was just an introduction. I don't know how far <laughs> into the introduction you want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's leave it there uh, because I think we can like CBT is so broad and, and uh, there's so much uh, within CBT, but I just kind of want to give people a little bit of a taste yeah, of some of the the more important or, or you know, honestly, just that engaging and and interesting aspects that I really like about CBT. And if people found that uh, useful for them, then they can find a therapist that works within CBT and and maybe delve a little bit deeper into it, specified for them individually. And I think you should also tell us what your business name is because I think the last times you've come on, we haven't we haven't told anyone in case they're in the area and they want to come and see you. Yeah, so my business name is functionalminds.com.au. Exactly right. Yeah. Beautiful. And that's your website too? Yeah, you can book online. There you go. You're brilliant. 
Okay, Isaac, well, thanks for that. Brilliant again, as always. Fan favourite as you are. Um, Pleasure to be on. We'll have a chat in the next few weeks and we'll talk about something else. Sounds good. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.